Good morning, sir. Welcome to Bismarck Media and Learn Strategic Advisors. Uh, we welcome you and thank you for sparing your time for this discussion upon uh, Good morning, sir. the role welcome of Bismarck Media and Learn Strategic Advisors, uh, role of LBA uh, and thank you into for implementation your time of any this discussion. Sorry, uh, another on, uh, audio is coming. Morning, sir, I have to stop Bismarck that. Media. Thank you. Sorry for the inconvenience. Uh, for my audience, which is mostly comprising of higher education professions, uh, you already know about Dr. K.K. Agarwal, who is chairman of National Board of Accreditation India and plays key role into founding several institutes all across India. Uh, I will not go into biography, detailed biography of SAR because uh, we all well know about this great personality into Indian higher education skies. Thank you so much, Vinita. <clears throat> Sir, my first question uh, to you is, uh, now that new education policy has been uh, drafted, then passed, and now is in the process of implementation across higher education as well as school education, what do you think uh, would be changes in the accreditation process in order to implement uh, the new education policy? Uh, there are two things which I like to point out. Number one, accreditation over the period of years is going to be mandatory. Uh, for example, the new education policy clearly says that the new norm of regulation will be accreditation. That's the sentence. Meaning thereby that an institution which is not accredited will not be able to stay for a long time. So that is one very major change. Uh, reason is simple because accreditation is normally an exercise which we take after the institution has been in existence for four, five, six years. So obviously the basic parameters have been set in. On the other hand, the initial approvals are normally given on greenfield. Uh, so therefore, at that time to assess the quality of everything is uh, just not possible. And therefore, uh, to give meaning to accreditation as uh, a sort of permission to exist after you have been tried out for five, six years makes much more sense. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, if terrifically high, because 15% to 20% difficultly high number. Uh, I think you were blanked out in between, no? No, your voice uh, stopped in between. No, I, I think your, your picture also became still. Okay. For me, it is coming continuously. It is working. Okay. So if you have to, if you have to accredit all such institutions, which are at the moment about uh, fifty thousand in numbers in higher education, even if the institutions go in for clustering, which is the uh, requirement of the new education policy, because we really believe an institution which has a uh, hundred students at all or two hundred students at all uh, cannot really bring in the quality. Uh, particularly from the point of view of uh, 
a private higher education because it can't even uh, break even to appoint sufficient number of teachers and all that. But even if all the clustering takes place, still the work volume will be very, very high. Therefore, in the new education policy, we have conceived of a body which is called National Accreditation Council, mm -hmm. uh, which Interalia will mean that we may have more than two accreditation agencies in the country. At the moment, we have only two, NAC and NBA, but we probably will have to increase many more uh, to take care of the load. And third point is in the national education policy, we clearly say uh, the goal of education will be outcome-based education, which has been the philosophy of NBA all through its existence. Because we do believe input-based education really uh, doesn't ensure the results. Outcome-based education, where you first define the expectations of a graduate and then work backwards. Uh, that has been the philosophy. And that's a third point which has been re-emphasized in NDP. So I think from these three angles, uh, the role of accreditation uh, is going to be very, very strong. And I think it should be because uh, unless uh, accreditation is there and is made mandatory, many institutions which just run uh, to have some sort of, uh, you know, uh, system of education, but not done in a proper manner in appropriately in order to uh, have a, a healthy teaching learning environment at place, this will enforce the institutions to upgrade themselves also. Yeah, that's perfectly fine because it, see accreditation is nothing like rocket science. I mean, I, I have seen uh, even if you are just above average institution uh, doing some basic things sincerely, you get accredited. It's not that we want something very superb from you for accreditation. But if you don't have even those basic parameters, for example, our six basic parameters are, do you have enough number of teachers? Do you have qualified teachers? Do you have a reasonable placement? Do you have sufficiently qualified faculty? I mean, are you getting sufficient number of students to be admitted to your institution? So these are some basic parameters only uh, which we are testing in the first place. Now, if you can't meet even those, uh, then I would be making a probably strong statement. I said, what rights you have got to exist? if you can't make even basic parameters. And I invariably tell the institutions when I address our success rate for those who meet the basic pre-qualifiers is about 85, 90%. Mm -hmm. So it's not that the rejection rate is very high, but the institutions themselves know that they are not worthy of accreditation. They don't even apply mm -hmm. because they cannot. And I invariably say, why do you expect parents and students to trust you when you don't trust yourself? Right. So therefore you are very right that accreditation will have to be mandatory. It's a different matter that we might have to go in for graded accreditation in the sense that, okay, first cycle we allow you to get accreditation, giving you higher targets for the next cycle and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And sir, what are the different kinds of accreditation as I was going through the website of NBA and we- uh, Kinds of accreditation word over are only two. Mm -hmm. One which call as binary accreditation, which is yes or no. And mm -hmm. second is graded accreditation. Mm -hmm. In binary accreditation, we just say either you are accredited or you are not uh, accredited. Mm -hmm. But in the graded accreditation, we 
either give grades or we give accreditation for three years, five years, six years uh, to try to differentiate. Uh, word over, it is believed that finally you should go to binary accreditation, yes or no. But in the intervening years, probably we will have to go to graded accreditation, but all institutions, because if I have the same standards for uh, say an IIT, uh, an average uh, private engineering college or same standards for AIMS or a private medical college, things may not be easy to work out. So we will probably have to go for uh, graded accreditation at least for 10, 15 years uh, before we stabilize the system to at least a minimum acceptable level. And finally, it will have to be binary accreditation. Right, sir. And what is this Washington Accord? Uh, Washington, okay. Washington Accord, uh, Vinita, is uh, only for engineering education, number one. Number two, it is a sort of MOU uh, which, is, uh, which was signed in Washington, therefore it's called Washington Accord. It's a number of countries. When it started, it was six or seven. Today it is 21 countries which are part of Washington Accord and every year uh, some new country enters. And the basic philosophy is that the 21 countries which form the signatories to Washington Accord uh, ensure that engineering education in their country is equivalent to all these countries. Mm -hmm. And Washington Accord has uh, countries like USA, Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand, Malaysia, Etc. Etc. So India became a signatory to this Washington Accord about uh, ten years ago or nine years ago. And uh, philosophy is if a graduate from say NBA is a member of the Washington Accord. Now if a if a graduate from an NBA accredited institution goes to any of these twenty countries, uh, he will be allowed to practice engineering. Okay. That is the advantage because we we twenty one countries we meet every year and find out what are the changes possible in engineering education and all that. For example, last time we met, we, we uh, did consciously decide to work on, uh, for example, should creativity be made a formal uh, requirement? Mm -hmm. Should sustainable development be made a formal requirement of engineering education? So it's a dynamic process, but advantage of this is that once you get NBA accreditation, you really don't have to get uh, any other uh, accreditation from the world. So basically it is smooth transition for a student who has uh, done engineering from an NBA accredited institute to be able to go to any of these uh, member countries uh, to pursue research. That is one. And second is our confidence that our engineering standards are equivalent to best in the world right because the 21 countries which include i have uh, told you the best the most developed countries now if you are striving to give the same standards that obviously gives you the confidence on uh, quality of education and sir is there any plan to extend this kind of arrangement for stem subjects like not only engineering and uh, like economics is very highly take uh, like I should say is the highly prioritized subject of study for many Indian students nowadays. So are there any plans of extending such kind of arrangement for these 
studies subjects yeah, yeah obviously Vinita, there is i am talking of washington accord because nba is concerned only with engineering education or architecture education or pharmacy education therefore we deal with washington accord but there are some arrange, several arrangements like this for example an architectural education there is another uh, arrangement like this which we are in line with working and i hope very soon we will have an uh, agreement for architectural education also at the world level similarly nac has uh, entered into another international arrangement which is applicable for different subjects or different arrangements are there at the world so we will have to explore many of those to go into because accreditation worldwide is believed uh, has to be program-wise accreditation because the institutional accreditation is not the uh, highest level of quality now because no institution can have all programs of the same high quality at any point of time and therefore word over is program-wise accreditation so we will have to explore program-wise international arrangements but there are many such arrangements and once we go to nac we'll probably have to find out all such and become members of all those yes that's great to hear and and sir my next question was uh as we talked about accreditation is also one of the basic parameters uh well qualified faculty members so how do we uh, you know manage or how do we put a kind of stamping on who is good qualified and who is not so good qualified for example if i take example of phd we know certain universities and certain institutes tier one uh, institutes definitely they take great pains in when they award phd to a student and there is a great lot of international research which goes into it but how do we maintain that same quality into tier two institutes also who are rolling out phds uh i agree Vanita, to your observation and we are concerned with the at times because uh, I, I am aware that some of the institutions are going uh, low in quality first thing i like to clarify is uh, washington accord is only for tier one institutions so when we talk about international comparison uh, these institutions which you are talking of are out of the picture at all. It's only for tier one institutions to begin with. Uh, secondly, we will have to gradually try to work on this uh, because why it happened was because when PhD became compulsory qualification, uh, there was a mad race for acquiring PhD. And that's what happened. So whenever I personally believe we should plan long term we should have thought 50 years ago that we will need so many phds and start working on this but if we just think one fine morning from next year we need four times phds then something like this will happen is natural to happen so therefore first thing which i think is country should education is not a short-term uh, planning proposal education has to be a long-term planning proposal so we should work out how many phds we need which institution should be allowed so on and so forth and then gradually for example earlier we didn't insist on publications now we insist on publications then we insist on citation so gradually we will have to work on the quality of phd but uh, i i share your concern we'll have to still work more in this direction maybe in the NEP we have a uh, another uh, sort of body promise which is national research foundation 
when the national research foundation is set up uh, maybe we can give more meaningful quantifiable criteria to these things but uh, i repeat we have to work on this and sir my last question is uh, your journey has been inspirational uh, to many so like from uh, an engineer to an academic faculty member to founder of one of the biggest university in Delhi, now to chairman of NBA. How do you see it and how do you inspire some of the higher education leaders now, upcoming leaders, young leaders? Uh, what are the, you know, what are the motivations and what are the uh, basic things that they should keep in mind to go on this kind of path, which this path is actually, uh, which tells me that it is a passionate about education. It, you have been pa passionate about education and bringing standards to education. Yeah, I agree, Vanita. I think to be on a personal note, uh, uh, I think it is probably only once when I defied my teachers who wanted me to join engineering profession and not become, my teachers did not want me to become teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, that was an unfortunate part of life, but I had to defy them. I had to tell them that my passion is uh, teaching, allow me to do that. And after five, seven years of my success, they realized that I was meant for teaching. Uh, first of all, uh, teaching, yes, it's a profession like all other professions. You also need salary. You also need uh, uh, support to your family and all that. But basically, if you don't have passion, you can never be a good teacher. Uh, I, I think one of the essential attributes of a teacher will have to be uh, either you have the inborn passion or you learn to be passionate. Uh, well, one can say whether it can be learned or not. And I believe a quote uh, which said that better than any other innovation of the last century is the statement that the attitudes can be changed. Uh, that's an innovation higher than all scientific innovation that your attitudes can be changed. So if you opt for teaching, please develop passion. And I, whenever I address a convocation and all that, I think only one sentence, if a teacher makes the students believe that he or she is their well-wisher, uh, I think everything else is taken care of. Uh, our first responsibility as a teacher is to make all my students believe that whatever I do, even when I punish them, even when I fail them, I am their well-wisher. And there may not be time, but I can count countless incidents of my life where I dismiss the student for a year and still he's grateful to me. We fail. I, I said, if you fail a student, you are doing your duty. You are not punishing him. So if you can imbibe that confidence and for that, number one, you have to be passionate. Number two, you have to be dutiful. Number three, you have to be totally impartial. You cannot be partisan and then passionate. And number four, you must be keeping yourself up to date so that you can inspire your uh, next generation. If you are not up to date, you can never inspire your next generation. So if you imbibe these basic characteristics, uh, I found it's not a very difficult thing to do that. And uh, maybe extra factor, God has been very kind to me to bless me that uh, I can stay focused and I can probably help some others also to be motivated and inspired. Uh, I think that's my good luck and uh, I wish it stays with me. Thank you so much, sir. And uh, 
it was like uh, hearing wisdom of pearls directly from the leader himself and this would be one of my precious interviews uh, for uh, my bizmag magazine and media thank you so much once again thank you thank time. you vinita and thank you bizmag for uh, giving me this opportunity i hope it served the purpose thank you very much